We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. to another episode of What the World Needs More of. My name is Jarek Robbins. I am your host. I'm very excited for our special guest. His name is Daniel. He is joining us today from Southern California. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Well, Daniel, we're going to dive right in with the question of the show, which is what do you believe the world needs more of? You know, when I first saw the, the, heard that, um, the obvious answers are love, compassion, empathy, all of those things. But to me, I want to twist it up a little bit because that's what I really do. And I think when you go behind those answers that are the obvious answers, what you find is, is, the, is the practice that makes those answers possible. What I think the world needs more of is people listening. We have a lot of people that speak. And if you look at the climate of the world right now and, and, and um, politics is such a, an easy place to look right now to see it. Nobody listens to one another. You hear them just speak over each other. One person gets started, the next person interrupts, the next person interrupts again. And you just have a shouting match of siloed, like-minded communities yelling across the way at other siloed like-minded communities and all of them trying to just make their community stronger rather than resolve the situations that need to be resolved. There's no reason in the world today anybody should be hungry. There's no reason in the world anybody should be homeless. There's no reason in the world anybody should not have clean drinking water. There's no reason in the world that we should have people that are less than or more than each other today. There's a, there is a beautiful, simple need for us to listen to each other and come together as a community, as we the people, just like the Constitution says, not we the red people or we the blue people or we the United States people, or we the Mexican people, or we the yellow people, or we the black people. It's, it's we the people. And it's been a long time since we the people have been, has been an, a, a term that we can hold with honor and dignity and stand and say, this is what I believe in, we helping we the people. Mm. Powerful. Very powerful. Now, here's a question. How do you bring that more into the world each day in this community around you? Um, I have a confession to make to you, Jarek. I'm 63 years old, and I realized that m most of my life 
I have, um, I've been sort of a snob. I sort of only wanted to associate with certain type of people that were uplifting people, or I wanted to be with people that were highly successful people, or I wanted to be with people that ate the right foods, or I wanted to eat, eat with people that thought the, the, the same way. I was a, I was a lone wolf for a long time. I've been in the self-help and spirituality uh, world, uh, bringing spirituality and, and these principles into business for almost 45 years. So when I was doing it, less people were doing it. And I was a lone wolf. And so I would sit on the hill and I would go, Ow! you know, and, and my voice had a certain platform, but it didn't go very far. And so I thought, how can I get together with other people of like mind so that when we're a pack of wolves, our howl can be heard further. And I, I started to look for like-minded communities, which sounds like the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And it really is. It's, a, it's so beautiful when you come and find your tribe and you feel like you're a part of something. Right now, what I feel like is the world has been uh, devastated by like-minded communities. Because what's happened is our silos of like-mindedness have gotten bigger and stronger, and the gaps between us have gotten wider and wider and deeper and deeper. And I feel like it's come time for the world to melt down our silos and come back onto the open field where we don't know what silo we live in anymore, but we just listen to each other and we just accept. We, we don't, when I listen to you, and I understand and I validate what you say and I acknowledge what you say. It doesn't mean I have to agree with what you say. But when I do that, suddenly I start to see something I never saw before. And I believe in a world where everything is possible. There's nothing that's impossible. The only thing that makes it impossible for me right now is I don't see yet a way to make it possible. And as long as I stay in my silo of people who think like me and act like me and talk like me and, and, and want the same things that I do, my opportunity to see something different than I see becomes less and less and less. So the more that I can mix with people of unlike mind, the more that we can create unlike minded communities. To me, that's where innovation happens. To me, that's where greatness happens. To me, that's where change happens. To me, that's where the impossible starts to become possible. Does this make sense? It does very much so. Uh, it, it's one reason my wa my wife and I love to move so much is we love being in places where people don't think like us, act like us, live like us, or or do things that we were doing prior. Uh, so we tend to to pop around. I remember we were living in San Diego when we first met, and then we moved to Costa Rica on the beach for a while, and then we moved to Tampa, Florida, for a few years. Then we moved to San Francisco for a few months. Then we moved back to Tampa, then back to San Diego. And now we're in Miami Beach. And we like going to places where the, predominantly the people around us are different. We get to hear a different yeah. opinion, a different viewpoint, a different perspective, and see people go about life very differently than we do because it allows us to, to expand and grow. I, uh, a stat I'm very fond of is Duke University found that 60% of what we do every day is nothing more than an unconscious habit. And meaning our uh. brain isn't even firing. It's why time seems to go by quicker as we get older because we, we go into unconscious habits all day long 
and time just flies by because our body was in autopilot going through the same motions we do every day. And so going yeah. to living in a new place with new people and new situations allows us to stay very present to how life is different than we've ever experienced. I'm a huge fan of what you're talking about. And I, I try to live it at, you know, in, in the way we show up in the world by going places we've never been and learning how to integrate into a new society, their rules, their values, their approaches and, and how things kind of go in that community. And what you're saying, I've, I've experienced firsthand. It's so true. I was living in a wow. village over in Uganda and, and there's a very siloed mentality of how the world is, how things are, who people are versus growing up in, you know, I grew up just close to you in Encinitas there. There's a whole different mentality yeah. of who the world is and how people are and what things are really yeah. about and what's important and what's not. Um, and, you know, I've also, I went to University of San Diego and lived down on the beach in Mission Beach for years. It's yeah. so close. It's only 20 minutes drive. But there's a whole different set of rules in society that exist there. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> and what's funny is what you're saying. People from one group tell you, oh, you're not going to like that group. You're not going to like there. I remember when we lived in Tampa, people would tell us, oh, no, you're not going to like Miami. And we would say, why? People are different. It's like living in a different country. No one speaks English. Like They tell you all these things of why that silo is different than their silo. But we get here, yeah. and we love it. And we love it for all the yeah. reasons they told us we were going to hate it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I so honor you and respect you for your vulnerability to just share that and be out front with that. And, and one of the things that I do in general, mm -hmm. I try and do it in my own life more than in the lives of the people around me, but it's so important to me is I've lived a similar type of life where I've bounced around and been able to sit with the wealthiest of people in the world and the poorest of people in the world. I've had dinner in the nicest restaurants sharing uh, amongst the richest people of the world. And I've sat on street corners with the poorest of the poor and, and to be able to, to feel behind the pulse of how much money a person has or what their status is or where they live or what they do. And to see that we are all connected by the things that we experience, by the things that we really want. What do, what do we really all want? We just want to be loved and accepted. We want to be heard and validated. We want to be listened to. We want to feel like we have some sense of importance uh, in this world, even if we're a street, a street cleaner. We want to feel that we're making some sort of contribution that makes our life worthwhile. And so, I get on the, on, an, on, an, on the outside how vital that is to just be able to experience different realities. What I want to do now is also invite people to do that internally as well. Like what does your internal environment look like? How free are we to change belief systems and concepts and thought patterns and ideas and habit patterns? Like that thing you said about Duke is just so uh, amazing that 60% of our of our life is just on pilot autopilot. How, how do we, how do we disrupt that? How do we take that process and say, I get it. I'm not fighting it. There's no reason why that's a bad thing. I'm not judging it, but how do I live a more heartful life? How do I live a more mindful life? How do I live a life where I am, I am creating my reality rather than falling victim to it. And if you think about what a lot of people feel is we, 
most of us that I know, many of the people I come in contact with, even though they wear the veneer of being highly successful, if you get up behind that, the wall of their protection and you really get, have them, experience, you experience them, what they feel is I'm not good enough. Somewhere along the line, I don't feel worthy. Somewhere in my life, something happened to me that made me feel that I don't deserve this. And I've seen it in the richest of the rich, and I've seen it in the poorest of the poor. And so when you think about that, how do we really get behind the veneer that we put up and truly just listen to each other, love each other, accept each other? I don't have to... I don't have to agree with you and you don't have to agree with me, but if I know that you've heard me, you validate me, you've accepted my, that that's what I believe. I, I you'll be my friend for all time, whether you agree with me or don't agree with me. That's what, that's not important. You're entitled to your belief, just like I'm entitled to my belief. What I just want to know is that you, that you've listened to me. And that you've heard me and you validate me and you accept my point of view. Hmm. Powerful. Powerful and true. Here's a question, and I think we're starting to hear the thread of it, but what would you consider to be your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And what are some of the moments that help shape it over your life? Um, wow. I... Again, I'm going to tilt it a little bit if it's okay with you. So I think I think the the thing that is my most special quality is one of the things that I thought was my biggest flaw. Mm. Uh, I lost my parents when I was young, two years apart on the same day, mm. and and because of, and it was July 4th, so my dad died when I was 13, my mom died when I was 15, both on July 4th, and I felt. Um, even before that, I remember saying to my mom, I, I had a friend that I used to play with that to me was completely real, but when I, she couldn't see him. And so I always saw a world that other people didn't see. And it really isolated me and it really made me feel alone because when you, look out into the world and you see something that others see differently or don't see. Remember my, my desire to just be validated and accepted and understood and listened to. Well, when everybody looks at a wall and they see it's white and you see it's red, um, it made me feel uh, different and it made me feel um, less than and uh, losing my parents also made me feel like there was this something that this common common modality that people share that I didn't sh that I didn't share I didn't have them anymore. Um, and it was my it was only later on, really, when I started I when I started to do work with companies I. I I became the director of business development for Hay House. And before that, I was part of a community of people, a yoga community. Uh, and I became the head of the publishing department there. And I made some changes in the way they were doing things. And we created this series of little gift books that drew the attention of Time Warner. 
and Time Warner flew me out to New York and said, I want you to run our, we want to hire you. We want to buy your company and we want to hire your, you to, to create a gift and special markets department for us that we haven't done because we love what you're doing. Um, my wife at the same time uh, got late stage cancer and I decided to forego that opportunity with Time Warner and just stay home and take care of my wife. And for five years, I stayed with her uh, and by her side and watched as she lost her life. Mm. And uh, we have, we had a developmentally delayed daughter. And so there were so many hurts that I experienced that made me feel separate from other people. It was only when I realized that the way I see things is why a company brought, would bring me in because I see things differently than they do. And so in the model that we were talking about of siloed belief systems, when we're always seeing things the same way, we continue to do things the same way. And so for Hay House, when I worked with them, I became the director of business development there and helped them grow from a $3 million company to a $100 million company. And really, there was one key thing that I saw. I saw a new product that we could develop, a new, a new genre. I created this, this genre of card decks. And I went to New York Times bestselling authors and I said, I know you can't publish your books with us, but you can do this because nobody else is doing this. And they said, sure, that would be great. And we created these card decks, which were really a, an adaptation of cliff notes that were just the best thoughts that they had in a very shortened condenser version with beautifully designed art on cards that people could hold in front of them. They then turned into, they then created something that was like an Oracle card deck that they put on top of that. But we got the best authors in the world to do card decks with us. And in that process, those authors said to us, we haven't done anything and our card decks are selling 10 times more than our New York Times bestselling books. What are you doing? And why wouldn't we publish with you? Hmm. And I said, that's a really good question. I can tell you the simple answer. The simple answer is you're getting a million dollar advance and we can't give that to you. Hmm. But what we can do is we can work with you to, to adjust your royalty and we can work with you so that as we sell these together, you make more money. And one by one by one, they started to come to Hay House. And that, that made everything easier. When you have now world-renowned people that you're trying to promote, people want to listen to them. People want to book them on their shows. When you have when, what I called when you have the cream of the crap, which we had before, we had the top people that nobody knew about. Nobody wanted to listen to them. It was hard to book them on things. So in one, in one action, very mosaic-like, one connection created a whole nother world of connections that became possible. So if I have any wow factor, it's in my ability to see things that others don't see. Hmm. And the moments that make me humble in that, the moments that make me, make me, um, make me feel how, how exquisite that is, is when I re realize if I see a world that they don't see, then they also see a world that I don't see. Hmm. And so for me, the way they see the world is as uniquely interesting to me as why they're hiring me 
to come in and show them a different world. And when we can pull those worlds together, connect those pieces, when I can see your world and you can see my world, we create a world that is unbelievably beautiful. Hmm. I love that. Now, here's a question. Speaking of that humble factor, knowing that they see a world that you don't see, what's been the most interesting insight you've learned from someone that you didn't know existed prior to that conversation? Wow. There have been so many things I've, <coughs> excuse me, there have been so many things that I've been, I've been shown. I have the beautiful honor of having a 29-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. Hmm. And I didn't always think it was an honor because what would happen is she would throw tantrums and she would try and come running at me and she would try and bite me and rip, my, rip things and she would do things because she got so frustrated that she wasn't able to communicate to me in the way that I could understand her. And it took me a long time to realize this because she, just like all of us, has this desire and, and this need to be heard, to be listened to. And so I started to think about it, like what was going on and what she would do is she, what I realized is she, she would try and say something to me and I wouldn't understand it. So she would say it louder. Well, it wasn't the volume that I didn't get. It wasn't that I couldn't hear her. It was the fact that the words she was saying, just, I didn't understand so I would ask her, Elisa, tell, try and tell me better what you're, what you're trying to say. And when she said it and then she, she yelled it and, then she, and she couldn't still communicate, she got frustrated and she threw a tantrum. And when I didn't understand her tantrum, then she would come running at me and try and rip my shirt or bite me or, or hurt me in some way. And I felt, oh, my God, there's something. I mean, she so desperately wants to be heard. It took me a long time to ask what was the simplest question I could ever ask which was Elisa, how can I hear you? Hmm. I know you're trying to talk to me, but how can I hear you? Show me. I'm obviously not listening the way you want me to listen. How can I hear you? And she doesn't speak like this normally, or she doesn't say things like this, or she doesn't respond like this normally because her mind doesn't work this way. But she had this huge smile on her face and she just took her finger and pointed to the side of her head on the top of her head. It's like, just like I'm putting it into, above my ear to my mind. Mm. And, and I said, hold it. Are you trying to tell me that if I would listen to you, that you're putting thoughts into my head? And she started laughing this laugh that would melt down the walls of anybody in the world. Mm. And, I, and I went, holy Toledo, you've been doing that. I can feel that, but I just didn't trust that. I didn't believe that that was even possible. And so what I realized then is my daughter was a living representation of every single person I know, whether it's a government official, a business, a CEO, a company that I work with. When people speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a scene. When they create a scene and they don't get heard, they try and destroy something, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a building whether that's a project that they're working on, whether that's a, a, a divided country that we live in, they don't think they're trying to destroy it. They're just trying to make a scene and so, because nobody's listening to them. And if you look at our political situation, again, you just hear people 
screaming over each other, but nobody's listening to each other. And the more that we scream, the more that we'll continue to move in the direction my daughter moved, which we will tantrum, and then we will do something to destroy. What's a terrorist doing? They just haven't been listened to, so they feel like they have to blow up a building so that somebody will listen to them. And it all came from a 29-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. So when I listen now, she now puts thoughts into my head, and suddenly there's no more tantrums. Suddenly there's no more uh, uh, yelling because she now, like everybody else, is, feels justified and validated in the fact that somebody understands her. And when she goes to places where they don't understand her, guess what she does? She yells, she tantrums, and she, and she, and she acts out. And I try to say to people, if you could listen to the way people are trying to be heard, everybody's trying to say something. The wind blowing through the trees is trying to say something. The world around us is trying to say something. The people around us are trying to say something, and all of it, all of it wants just one thing from us, just to be heard. I don't have to agree with you, but when I listen to you and I validate you and I acknowledge that that's what you believe, you may still not like that I don't believe you with you, like you, but you will, you will understand that I have the right to believe what I believe and that I've given you the right to believe what you believe you won't blow up my buildings anymore. You won't destroy my initiatives and, that I'm, I'm putting forward. You won't try and hurt the company that we're building. You won't try and destroy our marriage. You won't try and, and, and act out as a child to, against their parents because you feel understood and heard. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It, it, it's interesting. There's, there's layers that exist that I've been, I've been studying for a while where different people feel heard or seen very differently than others. And, and people like to try to divide it between a man or a woman and they, they feel like they've been appreciated or seen differently. Um, and, and there might be truth in it. There might not. I, th I think every individual has their own way. But I love what you said, which is how can I hear you in what yeah. you're trying to say? Um, yeah. Because, you know, I've heard it been said that some people need you to feel what they feel. Some people just need you to comprehend what they're saying. But I believe what yeah. you're saying is so true. Everyone has a different formula for when they feel that they've really been heard. And to ask those yeah. questions of how can I really hear you better? How can I fully hear what you're saying? Allows you to understand what that unique experience is for someone so that they can completely be heard. And and I agree with you. When people are heard, when when they feel like someone really took time to hear them, it, it's amazing how it, it creates a calm space. Um, someone, someone told me a long time ago, any emotion felt fully eventually leads back to joy. And I think there's something similar in this statement, which is when someone feels fully heard, it leads back to a very calm moment that exists because yeah. they, they feel heard. It feels like that emotion led them back to joy. And whether what they needed to share was anger or frustration or love or, or humor or anything. When, when it feels hurt, it feels like it brings you back to home. So imagine how that one feeling, that one question, that one desire to really understand how a person needs to be heard 
would change the way we do business, would change our negotiation strategies, would change the way we work with our employees, would change the way we work with our supervisors. Imagine how it would change government. Imagine how it would change our relationships with our loved ones. Imagine how it would, it would change education and parenting. Imagine how it would change even self-love. That if we would just listen to what is being said and hear it and validate it and accept it. Again, we don't have to agree with it. We have the right to hold our own belief systems. But when I acknowledge it and validate and accept it, we have a connection. And connection builds power. Connection builds love. Connection builds everything that we want to build because we're stronger together than we are apart. It's true. It's true. Now, along those journeys and along these conversations and these lessons that you've learned, which I'm so grateful you've shared because they're so beautiful and so true, what's been an awe-inspiring moment? Well, how, for me, the, the thing that brings me all every moment is how much of the world I don't see, how much of the world is there have you ever seen those drawings where you look at it one way and it's an old it's an old hag and you look at it another way and it's a it's a social young socialite mm -hmm. same drawing it's a black and white drawing just you, one way you see it it's a it's a young woman socialite and the other way is an old hag mm -hmm. existing in that picture at the same time are both images but most of the time, initially, we only see one of them, and then we get to see both of them. But, but even when we see both of them, we can't see both of them at the same time because there's a change of perception that needs to happen to go from one to the other. But it's that moment, the first moment, when what we see is what we see, but what we don't see is something else that's right in front of our eyes. What the awe-inspiring moment for me is when I can, I can personally and professionally help myself and others to see not only what they see, but to see what they don't see. Hmm. To hear not only what they hear, but to hear what they don't hear. We spend our lives, like that Duke study you mentioned, 60% of it just following rote habits. We do what we do because we do what we do because we do what we do. And we wonder why we're not changing, why we're not growing, why we're not innovating, why we're not um, doing what we want to do. Because we don't even contemplate the possibility that what would happen if I woke up and went off of autopilot? What would happen if I just listened Without, I have my theory around why we do that on autopilot. I mean, for my own personal life, for, for sure. I've been hurt so many times. My parents passed away. My wife passed away. I was given the, the gift that I didn't always realize, the gift of a developmentally delayed daughter. I've been hurt emotionally so many times that it's so easy 
to just put these walls around myself to protect myself. And I've painted those walls so beautifully so the people that see them say, oh, wow, what a beautiful man you are, Danny. But those, those walls aren't me. What, what I'm hiding behind those walls. And I spent a lot of time hiding behind that, those walls. And that's why I do those rote behaviors. Because as long as I stay status quo and I just do what I've always done, maybe you won't see the, 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 the little kid broken down behind those walls who just needs somebody to love him. But I've been the great white knight where I come and rescue everybody. I'm the one that rides in when everybody else is, uh, is freaking out. And I say, get out of the way. I'll, I'll take care of this. And yet, when I listen to myself, just like I'm asking myself to listen to my daughter, myself says to me, I'm tired of these walls around me. I'm tired of this protection. I feel suffocated by the walls that protect me. And I don't care what it takes. I'm going to open up and be vulnerable enough to come face up into the world and just come out and show myself. And no matter how much pain it has, no matter how much joy it has, no matter how much suffering is there, no matter how much people ridicule or love, it's not going to affect me. Because now I know who I am. And when we know who we are, there's something beautiful that happens. My definition of myself is no longer what you think of me, but it's what I think of me. And in that moment, everything changes. And that's an awe-inspiring moment. That's a moment where everything in the world changes because nothing in the world really matters anymore. And I don't mean in nothing matters, everything matters, but nothing, nothing, nothing someone else can do makes me any better or worse than I already am. I, I remember when I used to speak a lot, people would look at my resume and say, wow, you have an impressive resume, which to some people it's impressive to some people it's not. And I would, I would obviously honor them and thank them and say, thank you so much for such a kind introduction. But you know what? None of that really matters. My history is only my history. What matters right now is do we have a connection? Is there something that we are, that's happening right here where we are impacting each other, where we are touching each other? where we're helping each other, where we're enlightening each other. And if that's happening, where if, if our hearts are being touched, it doesn't matter if I've lived under a bridge for the last 50 years. This moment is what's important. We're being touched. And if we're not being touched, if nothing I'm saying is coming through, if we're not making any connection at all, then I could have worked with presidents, I could have worked with government organizations, I could have worked with CEOs of companies, I could have worked with anybody in the world. It doesn't matter because what I'm saying isn't touching you. Does that make sense? It does. I'm a huge fan of that concept. People's biographies can't tell you what they're able to do right now. Um, I, I spend a lot of space and time in the coaching space and 
how we designated who's legit and who's not is based on their past experience, which is helpful. Uh, but just because you built an amazing house in the past doesn't mean you're going to build me an amazing house if I hire you to do so. <laughs> I hope hundred uh, percent. I hope you're going to repeat the past. But if you ran a, you know, if you won a gold medal in the 1984 Lake Placid Olympics. Uh, I hope you can still skate that fast. I hope you can still ski jump that well, but I don't know. <laughs> you and I are made of the same elk because I used to say I used to be a bodybuilder mm-hmm. uh, and, and I used to be able to bench press 345 pounds mm-hmm. and I used to run 48 miles a week. And I, I was, I weighed 175 pounds and I was six feet tall and I was strong, but I always thought of myself as a little fat kid from Philadelphia, hmm. even in that moment. And then I hurt myself and I injured myself and I couldn't lift anymore. And I started to uh, gain weight and I started to have pains around me that I just removed myself from life. And so, it, so now going back to the gym, I'm lifting 135 pounds. Um, a far cry from the 345 that I used to live. But I have to remind myself when I started before, they called me JC Pennies because all I could have was nickel, nickel plates on the sides of the bar. And so it doesn't matter who I was. It matters who I am. I'm a huge believer in that. And when I hear people just rant and rave about how, how much they have done, I look at them and I, and I see... I, I want to say to you, brother, sister, hold me now in your hands and show me who you are now. Because mm-hmm. that's all that's important. That's right. That's right. It's so very true. Here, here's a question. It might be a bit of a twist. What's your greatest fear? <laughs> My greatest fear, I think, is I'm going to cough again. No, I'm busy. <laughs> and I'm going to put that mute button on and not realize it's on. Uh, if I were really vulnerable, my greatest fear is intimacy. Hmm. My, my greatest fear is in my desire to help the world. I used to say this when I was in college. People would, and that was a long time ago, and so it shows me how, how far I've come and how, how little I've gone. Um, I'm, I'm the type of guy that people just naturally open up to. Um, they feel safe around me. They feel comfortable around me. It's not rare for people to say to me, I've told you things that I haven't told even my best friend. And we've only known each other 30 minutes. And I, and I'm so honored, honored by that. And yet in the people that are closest to me, what I said in college is two millimeters from my heart, which most people don't even come close to. Two millimeters from my heart is a razor blade sharp wall that if people try and get there, they will be chopped to bits because I'm so scared of what would happen if you actually really came that close. I think because of all the pain that I've had, of all the loss that I've suffered, of all the people that I've loved that are no longer here. I'm scared even with my beautiful wife, who I love more than anybody in the world, that I can't, I don't allow her to come close to me because I'm scared if she gets that close and I lose her, what will happen? 
My fears are not around what people in the world will think of me. I really don't care. My fears aren't that I won't be successful because success in my mind has a different definition. It's not about how much money I have or, or how much purpose I serve. It's about who I am as a human being in my, in my own eyes. But there's still that place where I'm, where I'm scared that I'll get hurt again. And that hurt will be so big that I, I won't be able to recover from it because those hurts have come to me multiple times. Sometimes I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deeply spiritual man. And sometimes I would feel like God just picked me up so he could knock me down one more time. And I know that's not true. And I know that whatever pain would come to me now, I'd be able to recover because my history has shown me I have the ability to recover from that pain. But I think that's my biggest fear when I'm being honest and vulnerable of letting someone come that close that when they were gone, I would lose, I would feel devastated. Not, not when they were gone or they left. Like it's not, I'm not worried my wife will marry somebody else will leave me to marry somebody else. That doesn't, that's not my pain. My pain is that she will get into a, my wife died the most, my, my first wife, that I've only been married twice. My first wife died the most painful death you can ever imagine. She spent four and a half years in blood curdling, screaming pain, 45 minutes, every 45 minutes. She would have 45 minutes on, 45 minutes off. And I sat by her side, and here's the great white knight who would come into the room and say, I can help get out of the way. What, what's needed here? I'll, I'll save you. And I sat two inches from her and couldn't take one second of the pain away from her. So when I look at it that way, really my greatest fear is how inadequate I, I am to be able to take away that suffering, to be able to take away that pain. When I would love more than anything to take away that pain in myself and in others. Hmm. Hmm. To relieve the ones you love and the ones you cross paths with of suffering. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a family member who's deeply committed to that cause and works tirelessly to to find moments where people are going through suffering of any kind mental emotional physical and like you uh plays the role of that white knight trying to show up and do their best what's interesting is sometimes it, it's something that can help and sometimes it, it's what you did that helps which is just being next to her while she goes through it and knowing that she's not alone it's hard uh, uh, a thousand percent what you're saying is right and one of the things that I've seen over these long years that I've been here <clears throat> is it isn't the things that we say or the things that we see. It's the space between the things that we say. It's the silence that we have. It's the presence that we bring to a situation that affects people the most. It's not the words that we say. People will forget my words. People will forget what I've even done for them but hopefully they'll never forget the presence that was there mm -hmm. and that feeling of someone that was just completely present for them. 
if you think about a beautiful image that I love to think about, when is a window the most valuable? When it's clean and you can't see it. That's when it plays its most value. When it's dirty and, it's, and it wants you to notice it, um, it obstructs you from seeing what it, what's out there for you to see. So I agree with you a thousand percent. It isn't the words. It isn't the, my ability to come in and help somebody. It's just the sheer presence. I mean, it really comes back to our first question. What do, we be, what do people need? People just want to be heard. They want to be listened to. Mm-hmm. They, want to be, they want to feel that somebody cares enough about them, that they'll just be there for them and be present for them. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's powerful. We talked about fear, awe, humbleness. What are you most excited about in your future? Um, there is something so grand coming that I um, am in fear and awe and humbled and all the things that we spoke about by it. Uh, there is... Um, I wrote a book called The Mosaic, and I don't want to promote that. It's not what I'm trying to do. But there is this sense of, to me, that what I believe is that the truth has become so hard to believe, we call it a lie. And the lie has become so easy to believe, we call it the truth. And the, the truth that is so hard to believe is that we're all connected to each other science and quantum physics is showing us and it's leading the way where spirituality used to lead the way quantum physics is now leading the way to show us we're not these we're not this form that we sit in we're energy systems we're, we're that we are all a part of that we all the same air you're breathing in miami florida right now i'll be breathing 10 seconds later in, in encinitas california 3,000 miles away And the molecules in the air that we're breathing are the same molecules that Hitler breathed and that Gandhi breathed and that Jesus believed and that um, saints and sages and criminals have breathed. And all of that is available to us and access to us. And when we realize that that we are more connected, when we realize that we are part of the same reality, when we realize that there's no difference between you and me, even though on a physical form, we are completely different on an energetic form, we are the same. Then how does hatred continue? How do I hate me? Or better yet, how, do, how does the practice of starting to practice self-love, self-being kind to ourselves. How does that change this whole world in, in ways that we can't even imagine? And so it's hard for me to say too much without saying too much about what, what I've created, and I don't want to do that because this isn't the place to do it. But there is something coming that is spectacular. And when we realize that we are all a part of each other, everything we seek is not out there, it's in here. 
And when we, when we realize what we want is in the air that we breathe in, if we would only take the time to be with that air, to be with those, that, that, those currencies that are in the currents of the air that we're breathing, all the prosperity that we want, all the love that we want, all the healing that we want, all the, all the things that we are opposing now, it's our opposition that makes us unhappy rather than our acceptance and our love that makes them come to us. I don't, I don't feel like I'm being very clear in what I'm saying. So if I'm not, tell me and I'll try and clarify. Yeah. Well, let's jump to the second part of the show, which is a space to clarify. And I think it'll help people better understand. I love what you're saying and what you're alluding to and, and creating of context for us to understand this piece very clearly. Uh, the next part we call nuts and bolts which are the tactical, okay. pr tangible, practical, applicable type stuff where someone could take and immediately apply. And there's already so much you've shared with us, which I'm very grateful for, that people can immediately apply in their own life, in their own business, in their own perception and way that they go about all that they do each day. Uh, but in this next, th there's three questions here. And and let's talk about your Mosaic project here because I believe it's it's the thing that you've, focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life on each day as of right now. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to assume. So I'll ask, what do you currently focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life on each day as of right now? Um, thank you. Uh, that focus for me is I had, again, remember I was, I, as I spoke before, I was a self-alleged snob. You know, I would only associate with certain people. I would only uh, eat in certain places. I would only uh, put myself with like-minded people. And what I realized, again, is that those places are causing separations. And so the focus of my life is this beautiful imagery. It's a book that I wrote called The Mosaic. And, and when you think about a mosaic, what makes a mosaic exquisite? It's such an easy image for people to understand. A mosaic is made up of broken pieces, whole pieces, big pieces, small pieces, different textures and shapes, different colors. And, and no piece is judged because of the color or shape that it is. A mosaic would not be beautiful if it was all one color, one shape, one size. It's made beautiful by its diversity of color and shapes and sizes and pieces. And when we realize that <clears throat> that image of the mosaic is the image of the life we're living in, the world that we live in, we see that the, there's beauty in our diversity. And so my, my focus now is how to reconnect the disconnected world. And when I look at it, <clears throat> we are the most connected we've ever been. Technology allows us to know in 10 seconds what's happening 10,000 miles away. But in another space, we're more disconnected than we've ever been because I don't even know what's happening with my next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we have given ourselves validation by how many friends we have on Facebook but most of those people we don't know. Most of those people are just, we're friends with, but we have no idea what's happening in their life. But now we think we're important and we surf the web 
looking for what other people are doing in their life, watching their happy moments, um, because nobody has the courage or vulnerability to share, not nobody, but very few people share their vulnerability of their unhappy moments. And so we look at that and we start to think more and more, how, can, how come my life isn't like that? How come I'm not going to those places? How come I'm not having those experiences? And what we end up doing is being is taking an already perceived concept of ourselves, of how hard we are on ourselves, and we become even harder on ourselves. Jarek, if you and I were to go for a walk and you were to fall down, this would be my commitment to you. I would lay down on the floor next to you and make sure you're okay. Find out how you are and see what's troubling you, see where you're hurt, see if you're okay. When you say you're okay, I would help you to get up or sit up. When you finally got up, I would stand with you and I would stand by you. I'd either hold you or stand close to you to make sure you're, you feel good on your feet. I would take a few steps with you to make sure that you can walk and you feel comfortable walking. And then when you feel comfortable walking on your own, I would watch you for 20 more steps to make sure you're okay. But if you and I were walking and I fell down, I would say, you, you clumsy son of a gun. Look, you're walking, you just met this guy, and you're walking, and you tripped up. What, what's he going to think? You're such an idiot. And I'm so hard. I wonder why I'm so hard on myself and so kind to you. And I realize the golden rule that we've all grown up with of do unto others as you want them to do unto yourself, we just do unto others. We take care of everybody else. We're kind. We're basically kind to other people. If we would only be as kind to ourselves as we are to other people, we would everything would change. So I'm in the I'm in the initiating moments now of starting a be kind to you twenty one day challenge. Mm. And it's a it's a bracelet that you wear, a little a little silicone bracelet that says be kind to you. And the goal is to go twenty one days without being hard on yourself. I've been wearing it now for about 11 days. It took me eight days to get past day one. Now I'm on day four. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to sail through to 21 days. Uh, what happens is when I find myself not being kind to myself, I take the brace. I, I start with a bracelet on my left hand. And when I find myself not being kind to myself, I put it on my right hand and I start over at day one. Well, day one can have many, day one for me had many day ones because the practice was just in getting initiated. It took me a long time to, to I, I found myself all the time doing it. And I was so happy just the other day, I saw myself start to uh, deprecate myself, you know, start to put myself down. And I looked and I saw the bracelet say, be kind to you. And I, and I totally reframed what I was about to say. Mm. And so it's a beautiful practice. Can you imagine what would happen if we lived in a world where we supported ourselves, where we didn't sabotage ourselves, where we didn't put ourselves down, where we believed in ourselves, where we took the power of what we feel and just allowed it to live 
without always criticizing it, knocking it down, thinking it had to be better, thinking we had to do it more perfectly, thinking if I were only, I could have, or I should have, or I would have, but just being kind to ourselves. I think it's the single step. It's the first step in a four-step process. And the four-step process of connection that, I, that I've created, or that came to me, I didn't create it, the first step is be kind to yourself. And just to, just to broaden that a little bit more, I realized I spend most of my time hitting myself. So what would I do? I would protect, my, I'd protect myself by putting up, like if I would take my right hand and I would start to swing away at my face, my left hand would protect me so I don't get hit. But when I look at the distance between my left hand and my face, there's about three inches there. And that means the wall that I've built around myself, not from you attacking me, but from my own self-attack, is about three inches deep. So the world that I live in is barricaded in at a three-inch level. So how much of myself am I really giving out to the world? How much of myself am I really receiving from the world? Until I'm, when I'm kind to myself and I realize I'm not going to hit myself anymore, that wall can come down. Now, I might see you in the distance and be scared of you because you might want to hurt me too. But now I know that kindness helps to dissolve that wall too. And when, I'm, when I can dissolve that wall of, of, by being kind to myself, suddenly what happens is things start to come into me and things start to go out from me into the world that I live in. And the second step of that practice is to be vulnerable. I suddenly am now vulnerable to a world that I've never been vulnerable to because I've been isolated and protected by the walls that I've built around myself to protect myself from myself. And when I can become vulnerable, it's an amazing practice when we no longer try to be something we're not when we're vulnerable and we just come out as who we are, the world really supports us. I mean, there may be a few people that say, oh, I know all along what a creep you were. But I've been shocked at how many people support me in my vulnerability and lift me up in my vulnerability and say, I'm there for you, Danny. I'll be there. I'll help you. That I never knew before because I was always this great white knight that was rescuing everybody. Now that I'm vulnerable, people want to help me. And that, can, that creates a flow of energy where I can give and I can receive at the same time. And when I'm vulnerable, then all of a sudden what happens is I start to realize that I become open to understanding what my purpose here in life is and how do I live a purposeful life. And that's step three, to do what you came to do. I think I mentioned to you that I, was, I used to be a weightlifter and I used to bench press 345 pounds and run 48 miles. That's not my current reality. Somehow I allow the pains of life and the walls and separation to put me in a situation where I became 100 pounds overweight. And I started to become vulnerable with that. And I, then I started suddenly to ask myself, what am I doing? And I found that I was eating things that would comfort my pain. And that was my destination that I was shooting for. I wanted every day to just comfort myself because the world around me 
was hurt was hurtful. And so I started eating comfort foods, which just built my stomach bigger and bigger. When I changed my destination to I want to eat things, eat foods that are healthy for me, within two months, I lost 30 pounds. And my goal is within this year to lose 100 pounds or 125 pounds. And it it became effortless because my destination is now not eating things that comfort me, but eating things that are good for me. That simple change of destination rerouted my GPS system from how do I get from where I am to where I'm going to a place where comfort foods are not on the menu. They're not, on, they're not in the directions anymore. And that simple thing happens. So when I live purposefully and when I'm vulnerable and when I'm kind to myself, then that's when I can go to step four, which has been my connection with others, which is I can build the mosaic, my mosaic, Hmm. the mosaic of those people. So can you imagine if we're building connections with purposeful people who are vulnerable and open, who know the practice of kindness? Can you imagine what's possible in those connections? Before I was connecting one wall to another wall, and we made nice, we made nice buildings, but we didn't have the connections we're having now. I'm sorry for talking so much, but it's, uh, I, I hope it's valuable. It is very valuable, and I appreciate it. The piece that I'm looking for, I love these four steps. If we were going to wrap up and give people one tangible action they could do from this, the one thing that possibly could be their first domino to set off all the others. What's the very first thing that that you would share with them to say, Hey, if you were to walk away from this episode and listening to this conversation and you really felt everything that was here, here's the one thing you could do today that would cascade all these other pieces into motion over time. Listen to the things that you don't listen to and see the things you don't see. That would sum everything up. We all know what we see. What we see creates us to live the 60% road life that we live. We see what we see. We do what we do. And when we see the same things we see, we do the same things we do to create the same life we live. When we stay in those silos and we listen to the things, the same people, people of like minds who think like us and feel like us and act like us, we have no incubation, incubation tank for innovation because we're just hearing the same things over and over again. Start to use this, the brilliance of our mind and the sweetness of our heart to become open enough and vulnerable enough to really listen to another person, to hear the way they want to communicate, to look for what what is the method that they are trying to use to get us to hear what they want to say? And if we would see them, I love the way you started out that everybody has a story. If we would take the time to listen to people and hear their story, we would also see that they are completely different than the person we first thought they were. And when we see, when we listen, we start to see. And when we start
to see, we start to have, we start to become visionaries. And so the world that we think we're living in suddenly becomes a world that is completely different. Mm-hmm. When we would realize that the world we see is not the world that is, it's just simply the world we see. We might ask ourselves, what would we see if we could see what we don't see? Mm-hmm. And that is the underlying thought of the book of the, the Mosaic. What would we hear if we listen to the stories of the simple people, the, the juice man and the road worker and the street artist and the blind woman, instead of putting them in a box like we so want to do, that we understand what would happen if we just spent time with them and let them tell us who they are, unboxed. How would that change our life? Last, last quick story. I remember when I was at Hay House, I, was, I went to New York to meet with some agents. And I was sitting in a cab driving from one place to another. And in New York, it's not like Encinitas where we have maybe, you know, where on any street corner at any point in time in Encinitas is maybe two or three people. In New York, downtown Manhattan, at any point in time, there are thousands of people on the street, on, on the four corners waiting for the lights to change so that they can cross the streets. And I remember looking out at the cab and thinking, I'm going to talk to this agent about this guy who has an amazing story. When in reality, I could sit here on the street corner and talk to every one of these people that's standing here. And if I would take the time to listen to their story, their story would be as miraculous as any story ever told. Mm-hmm. Take time, to, the one thing we could do is take time to listen to each other's stories. Mm-hmm. Take time to hear what another person really thinks and feels. Take time to understand and acknowledge and validate what they say. Again, you don't have to agree with it. You have your right to agree and believe what you want to believe but let them share with you what they see. Because in that world that I believe in where everything is possible, the only thing that keeps me from seeing what's possible is not seeing a way to make it possible. Maybe in listening to someone who sees the world differently, I might see the world differently too, which just might make that impossible world possible. I love it. I love it. Such a powerful message, such a timely message, such a true message, and a message filled with so much truth. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and sharing so much with us on the show today. It's uh, my absolute honor. You're an amazing man. I I hope this is the beginning of our relationship, not the end. Oh, same here, same here. Now, for everyone who's tuned in, couple requests. Number one, go to the show notes. We're going to have a link to the book of the mosaic. And I'd love you to grab a copy. I'd love you to grab two copies, send it out to a friend, a family member, a colleague, someone who needs to listen more, someone who maybe you need to listen to just to spark the conversation and give each other a chance to really connect at a different level. Uh, It's a thread of what we're about here on, on what the world needs more of podcast is listening to people's stories, hearing who they really are. I'll tell you from personal experience, 
I've had a few friends of mine way back when from high school that we've known each other for all these years, and they've come on as a guest and shared things that I didn't even know existed or happened in their life, whether it's their second time being a mother, but their first time getting to actually mother the child. She had, one of my friends had a full-term loss of, of pregnancy, meaning the baby was all the way there. They were in the hospital. She was about to push, and they found out it was gone. And hearing her share with me those details brought a new depth to our friendship that has been around for 15-plus years of our life, but I didn't know that depth of who she was. And so I, I'd urge you, grab a copy of this book, grab a second copy for a friend, family, colleague, associate, share it with them, and then take time to ask each other and get to know each other's worlds, get to know each other's thoughts and feelings and experiences. And I guarantee, like our Daniel said today, you're going to see something you've never seen before through a set of eyes you've never had the privilege of experiencing it through. But I, I'd urge you, grab a copy, share a copy, and then do it together and learn about each other's worlds at a new depth. A second, I would ask if you enjoyed this episode. We believe that sharing is caring. We love caring people. So please share it with someone that you care about. Share it with someone you know that needs to hear this. And, and finally, uh, my only request is if you enjoyed this, come back for next episode. I can't wait to share more with you. 